The housing market is slowing. What does that mean for investors? And can that tell us anything about the recession that may be coming? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform, because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of September 5th, 2022. Happy Labor Day to our U.S. listeners and happy rentrée to those in Europe, if there is such thing as a happy rentrée. And well, happy September to everybody else. We have a long and wonderful trend of special guests to the episode lately. So we want to pull up and say hi. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Julia. And get back to the more general market check-in with you all. There's lots of contenders for today's hot topic, but with home sales down and prices still up, the housing market has been all over the news. So today, Julia and I are here to discuss what's been going on in the housing market, what it tells us about the economy as a whole, and what implications that has for asset allocation. That's right, Lauren. The housing market has had a rough 2022 so far, and we think it could still get a little bit worse from here. But the good news is that we don't expect this abrupt housing slowdown to lead to a crisis like we saw in 2008, 2009. I'm really glad that you're pointing that out already because the 2008 subprime housing crisis looms large in many investors and many people's minds and experience. And you're right, a slowdown in housing is not the same thing as a crisis, but it still matters for the housing market itself and also as an important signal for the rest of the economy. I like where we're headed there. And I think we should also note right at the top of today that this episode is about the housing market as a whole and not about whether or not now is the right time to buy a home. Buying a home is a large personal decision that often takes into account more than just mortgage rates and the other macro factors we're going to discuss today. Here goes with those macro factors then. In our July or mid-year quarterly outlook, we wrote about how a slowdown in housing would likely be the first domino to fall in a larger economic slowdown or chain of dominoes. And that seems to be what we're looking at today. The housing market is a bellwether for overall economic activity. So let's maybe start by providing our listeners an overview of how the housing market fits in with the rest of the economy, the rest of those dominoes, and why it's such an important sector to keep an eye on. Agreed. So on the whole, the housing market makes up roughly 17% of U.S. GDP. Pretty significant. But the housing market is also special in other ways, too, because like we just talked about, purchasing a home is often one of the largest investments individuals will make. And homeownership makes up a significant portion of households' net worth in the U.S. and around the world. So this creates what we economists would call a wealth effect. Many Americans store their wealth in their homes, meaning that changes in housing prices can affect consumer spending behavior and their general sentiment about the economy. And of course, the Federal Reserve plays an important role here because even though the Fed does not raise or 
impact mortgage rates directly. The changes to its policy rate flow through to mortgage rates and other interest rates in the economy. And so as the Fed has been raising its policy rate over the course of this year, the cost to finance a home have also risen. And as those costs rise, of course, demand for new purchases tends to fall. And that's been the case. So to put a finer point or some numbers on this, since the beginning of the year, U.S. mortgage rates have almost doubled from an average of about 3% to closer to 55 5.6%, and in some cases higher, which is causing monthly mortgage payments for new homes to jump by about 30%, according to data published by Realtor.com. So no surprise that this is causing new buyers to consider their purchase uh, very carefully, and we're seeing that reflected in the data today. Exactly. The affordability argument is absolutely key to understanding the dynamics at play in the current housing market. And if we add to that, we can add the supply side in there. We love talking about supply and demand and supply in the housing market is remarkably tight. And this is also helping to hold prices up. So the overall inventory of the housing stock is near record lows. And per our team's estimates, as of July, the national housing stock is short about 1.3 million units. Vacancy rates, which is another housing supply metric, are also notably low. 1.3 million units is a lot of units. Have, have we seen an uptick in construction to meet that demand? So we would expect home builders to transition into building more multifamily properties to meet that demand, those classic you know, laws of supply and demand at play. But the first issue is that this takes time. And the second issue is that building materials have become so much more expensive. There was a big you know, news wave about lumber prices several months ago, and there's a lot of other angles there. So home builders have been feeling that. Building permits have cooled. Housing starts are down. So we're just not seeing a construction surge meant to meet that demand quite yet. Okay, so things are looking bleak for the housing market in the near term. But let's talk about how that dynamic, the slowdown in the housing market, what that means for other areas of the economy, like inflation, housing or shelter, as it's known in the CPI or consumer price index basket, makes up for roughly a third of the total basket for inflation and about 40% of the basket for core inflation, which excludes more volatile food and energy prices. So it's important to note that this captures housing costs for renters rather than homeowners, but they end up telling similar stories. And that 40%, that's a, that's a pretty big portion. Right. And in the most recent CPI print, which for us was July, shelter inflation was up 5.7% on a year-on-year basis. And notably, it surpassed energy as the largest single contributor to year-on-year inflation. So housing inflation is certainly running hot. In Manhattan, we're really feeling that where average monthly rent for a two-bedroom apartment is over $5,000. Yikes. Yeah. At these levels, my dog Hank really needs to start paying rent. (laughs) Yeah. But New York is not alone for once. The nationwide median rent price has marked a new high for the 16th straight month. Truly, ouch. But what goes up must come down. Another one of those laws of physics. And we don't expect this to keep up because as demand cools, as the Fed is hiking interest rates, slowing economic activity, the idea is that it slows inflation with it. And a number of other housing indicators that we track that have tended to lead shelter prices, those have been falling. Building sentiment and home sale price growth, for example, have both taken a turn. And as they do, we hope rent prices will cool. 
Well, cooling housing inflation would certainly be welcome news, but we also need to consider that a slowdown in this important area of the economy could have broader implications for economic growth. So while there are signs of some pockets of economic strength, like in the labor market, these tend to be more lagging indicators, whereas housing, on the other hand, where we're starting to see some trouble, that's a leading indicator and a pretty reliable one at that. Data shows that the housing sector is almost always the first to turn downwards before a recession, while the rest of the economy tends to follow. So today, key housing activity and transaction volume data are falling, but they haven't bottomed yet, signaling that we may be in the early stages of potentially a prolonged economic slowdown or even recession. So now that we've gotten the doom and gloom out of the way, I do want to come back to the silver lining that we mentioned up top, which is that we want to be very clear that we do not see this housing slowdown as a repeat of the 2008 housing and financial crisis. To start off, Americans have learned a lesson from that housing crisis. And today, the vast majority of U.S. mortgages are fixed rate rather than adjustable rate. Now, what this means is that we don't need to be as worried about a foreclosure crisis like what we saw in 2008, because as interest rates rise, the vast majority of existing homeowners have stable mortgage costs, even with the Fed raising rates. So those rising interest rates are expected to cool the housing market in a different way this time around. This time we'd be thinking about rising costs of new mortgages for first-time home buyers or those who switch homes. Refinancing and remodeling are also more expensive because borrowing costs are up. Agreed. And with respect to the broader economy, we see little evidence of imbalances in household and corporate balance sheets at this time, meaning we don't see a ton of excess debt, another key difference between this period and the one that we saw in 2008. So then without a financial crisis, if that's what we're saying, or an area of the economy that needs to deleverage meaningfully, an incoming recession is likely to be shallower. Doesn't mean that the recession wouldn't have important consequences for the economy and for markets. It's just that it's likely to look different from the recession and deleveraging cycle combo of the global financial crisis. That takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. So today we've talked about how the housing slowdown may help to slow inflation, but that it doesn't bode as well for the economic outlook. So what does that mean for markets and for portfolios? From a macro perspective, we can think about how developments in the housing market fit in with other narratives driving the market. For instance, if inflation has peaked and housing data points to lower inflation, that could be bullish for equities or call for a risk-on position. But if slowdown fears dominate, more sour housing data could send equity prices lower. That's right. And we've been seeing a bit of that play out in the markets recently. The inflation may have peaked, I'm putting that in air quotes, narrative, seem to be driving a rebound in markets in recent weeks. But economic growth pressures are accumulating and the Fed is still raising interest rates. So what remains to be seen is whether the Fed is hiking us into a recession. And as more economic data reveals what the housing market is already telling us, which is that a slowdown is coming or maybe is here already, we feel it's best to be risk neutral in equities in this market environment. This means that we just don't feel it's the appropriate time to be loading up on equities, but we're also not calling for dumping equities. Our asset allocation portfolios reflect this overall view right now, but that doesn't mean we aren't taking 
any risk for any bets within our overall neutral market posture. For example, we maintain an outsized overweight in value equities relative to growth equities. We also mentioned today that we don't see major imbalances in household or corporate debt. And because of that relative health of the private sector, we've maintained an overweight posture in high yield bonds relative to investment grade corporate bonds. We also discussed, as our listeners will know, recently real estate in particular specific opportunities in real estate and how that reflects the housing sector. I definitely recommend going back to check out that episode if you're interested. So to summarize, as the market is wavering between some narratives right now in terms of inflation and recession, we think it's best to maintain a balanced risk positioning. Tactical moves within the short-term market fluctuations will depend on your risk tolerance and time horizon. And if a narrative takes hold and the housing market will be a key indicator of that, we'll be sure to update you if we think a change to risk-on or risk-off positioning is appropriate. Coming up next, and speaking of so many narratives in the marketplace, we're going to be bringing back one of our favorite guests, Steve Cianci, who's the co-head of Global Fixed Income at Mackay Shields, to discuss what they're seeing in the macro environment and as the Fed continues to raise interest rates. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. But until next time, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you then. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.